As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, open it up. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9 today. We're beginning a new series of messages today called The Cross or the Trophy. Now, let me ask you a question. If you are a believer in Christ, did God save you so that you can have a better life? Is that the goal of God's salvation? If that is the goal of salvation, if your best life now is salvation's goal, then the nicest thing that God could have done for you was to have taken your life the moment you get saved. Think about it. If you believe in heaven, as believers, we believe in heaven. Revelation chapter 21 says that heaven is a place where there's no tears, there's no death, there's no pain, there's no grief, there's no sorrow. The troubles of earth are gone in heaven. So if the goal of our salvation here was merely for us to have a better life, then the nicest thing that God could do to us is to go ahead and take us to heaven. I think there's more. I think there's a reason for your salvation that is earthly as well as heavenly. There's a lot of commonalities in the room. Most of us here are believers in Christ. All of us here in the room are alive. I know, it's hard to believe, but all of us are alive Uh, Sometimes in the morning you doubt it, but you're here, okay? We also all have good times, and we all have bad times. And then there's a fourth commonality. God has a reason why you take up space and take in air. Your life is not an accident. There is a place within the divine plan of God, a role for you to play. And so as we think about our role here on earth, I think we can... Break it down into two big things. Number one, God desires for your life to bring Him glory. You say, well, how does my life bring God glory? Well, first of all, you begin to understand life from a worship perspective. Whenever you see life from a worship perspective, instead of you being the center of everything, God becomes the center of everything. So instead of being self-centered and self-selfish, You become God-centered, and you see the world revolving around God, and your life ultimately revolves around the Lord. And so you take that singleness of purpose into every area of your life. If you're a teacher, you take it into the classroom. If you're a businessman, you take it into the office. Wherever you go, you seek to do one thing, and that is to bring glory to God. In the way that you treat your spouse, you you seek to bring glory to God. The children that God has blessed you with and grandchildren, you seek to care for them in a way that brings glory to God. And so you have one agenda, and that is to act, speak, harbor attitudes that bring glory to your God and make Him known because Jesus said we are to be the light of the world. So everywhere we go, we seek to shine the light of God into the circumstance into the relationship, not for our glory so that everybody can look at me, but for God's glory. So, number one, you are created to bring glory to God. Number two, God has a role for you to play within his divine story. You have unique background, unique talents. You have a gift from the Holy Spirit, and there is a role for you to play within the story of God. You see, the call of Jesus on our lives always goes beyond me. 
The call of Jesus connects me to greater things, things which are eternal in their scope and spiritual in their essence. And so as I was putting together the message today, I had one simple prayer, and that is that if you have not already done this, that you will make the flip. You say, well, what's the flip? The flip is moving from a life that says it's all about me to a life that says it's beyond me. I think that a fulfilled, joyful life requires that we flip our focus from ourselves to others. And so back to my initial question, did God save you so that you can have a better life? Well, there's more. But I do think God wants you to have a joyful, fulfilled life here as well. And you're not going to find that by wallowing in selfishness. You're going to find that whenever you learn to get beyond me and care about others and see your life as a part of his divine plan. Well, in Luke chapter 9, we find the disciples at Flippant Day. Jesus is going to change their perspective. So beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and power to heal diseases. And then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So these twelve men that Jesus had called to be his inner circle, they had come to Jesus with some pretty selfish agendas. They had come to Jesus with a variance of backgrounds, and they had been following him and learning from him everywhere he went. And so on this day, he summons them, and he says, I'm going to send you out. Now, if you think about these 12 guys, they were an incredible group. You have Peter, who uh, underneath Jesus kind of became the default leader of the group. He seemed to have a very charismatic personality that people naturally uh, gravitated towards. But Peter, that guy was an emotional roller coaster sometime. You remember in the upper room, he looks at Jesus and he's like, I will die for you. And then they leave the upper room and they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and they come to arrest Jesus. And Peter is like, I will fight for you, Jesus. And then just a few hours later, Jesus is on trial and Peter's watching from afar. And he's like, I have no clue who that guy is. I mean, he was up and down. You have James and John that Jesus nicknamed the sons of thunder because these guys had problems with wanting to be the center of attention. They wanted everybody to look at me and see how great they were. And so Jesus, they're like the sons of thunder. And then you had Andrew and Philip and Thaddeus. These, these were, seemed to be more stabilizers within the group, somewhat safe choices that God brought into the group. And then you have Bartholomew and Thomas. Anybody in this room ever suffer from analysis paralysis? Yeah. You're like, I don't know if I'm, I'm trying to analyze whether or not I do. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, Bartholomew and Thomas, they were, they were natural skeptics. They were always overanalyzing things. And then we have Matthew, who we know for sure, and we speculate that James the Less were tax collectors. If you know anything about ancient Roman civilization, the tax collectors were the lowest of the low. When a people would be conquered, the tax collectors were the ones who had sold out to Rome, and then they would extort money from their own people for their own gain. People did not want to be around the tax collectors, and Jesus calls two of them to be a part of his inner circle. And then we have Simon the Zealot. What's this zealot all about? Well, the zealots were a 
militia group. And you know what they were devoted to? Killing tax collectors. <laughs> they did not like people that sold out to Rome, and so they would stab them literally in the back. Jesus calls two tax collectors and a zealot to be part of his 12, and then we get to Judas Iscariot. This man who had some talent, seemed to have some ability and intellect, but he was caught in the grip of greed. And eventually his greed led him to be caught in the grip of evil. And he would betray our Lord, and his life would end tragically. Up to this point, if you really begin reading the story in the various Gospels, you find these guys were following Jesus with selfish agendas. Jesus, what's in it for us? Okay, we've left behind our family, our friends. We're following you. We're taking this risk. We're living our lives in faith. But what's in it for us? But then notice what Jesus did. He sent them out. It is amazing how much conflict can be solved when you just simply move from inward thinking to outward thinking. When you move from selfishness to giving. I see this in churches, I see this in marriages, I see this with individuals. I got so many problems, I got so much conflict, I got to fix all this. So much can be solved whenever you just move from thinking about me all the time to begin thinking about others and how can my life be connected. Be connected to what God is doing in their life. So Jesus sends them out. Now, were they ready? Were they ready to go out on their own? Probably not. Those of you that are teachers in the room, do we appreciate our teachers here? Amen. Do you remember that first time, that first time you walked into the classroom? You're like, all these kids are looking at me. I'm the teacher. Were you ready? Probably not. Do you remember whenever the hospital made the asinine decision to let that little baby go home with you? You know, deliver the baby, is born, it's cute. Ah. Then they say, now you're going to take it home? Really? Were you prepared for that? I know I wasn't. I, I wasn't prepared at one, two, three, or four kids, okay? I'm still not prepared. But it's my responsibility. I remember the first time that I, I preached my first sermon. And uh, whenever you preach, you know, you go up on stage. And whenever you go up on stage, everyone leaves you're kind of like, hey, where are you guys going, you know? I'm all alone up here, you know? Good luck with that, Lush. <laughs> Was I ready? No, not ready. Things are never going to be perfect in life. You're never going to be fully ready. But hear me well on this. If you're going to do anything with your life, you have to push through fears and go. You have to be willing to embrace some unknown. You have to be willing to embrace some risk. You have to be willing to trust in some things that are bigger than you. And as believers, God calls us to trust in him. I said last week that your faith will never be greater than the object or, thing that you, or, the object or person that you place it in. And so God calls us to place our faith in him. We plunge into the unknowns, but we do so knowing him, knowing his goodness, his faithfulness, his power, and trusting him. So Jesus calls these guys to get beyond themselves and to go out into the community. Now notice what he says in verse 3. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No walking stick, no traveling bag, no bread, no money. And don't take an extra shirt. 
Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And so they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. So notice here in verse 2, he gives them an assignment. They were to proclaim the good news and they were to heal the sick. Then in verse 3, he tells them what they're to take with them. He says, take nothing with you. Now, you guys know that I like to hike. And so if somebody came to me and said, hey, Lash, we want you to go spend a few days in the wilderness, and you're going to go up that mountain, and you're not going to take any trekking poles. You're not even going to take a backpack. You're not going to take any food, no extra clothes in case it gets cold. Don't even take a tent. I'll tell you what, I'd be nervous. Really? I'm supposed to go out into the unknown and take nothing? The disciples were completely unequipped for their earthly needs, but they were fully equipped for their spiritual needs. Jesus, in his teaching, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be provided for you. What were the things that Jesus was talking about? The necessities of our physical lives, our food, our water, our shelter, money to pay the bills, uh, things that we need just to keep on going. You see, 101 in Jesus' teaching was a priority list. Seek first the kingdom of God. You seek to be God's child. You seek to be light shining into the darkness. You seek God first and foremost, and then God says, I'm going to take care of you. I'll provide for your food. I'll provide for your shelter. I'll make sure that you have those things which you need. But you seek me in every area of your life, and I will take care of you. Now, notice, though, how he does equip these men. Number one, he gives them power. He gives them a miraculous gift. They have the ability to perform miracles. Secondly, he gives them authority. You see, power is the ability to do something. Authority is the right to do it. So Jesus didn't just say, hey, go out and do this. He said, you're going out to do this under my authority. And then he gave them a specific assignment to preach the good news and the kingdom of God. What is the good news? Well, the good news is the gospel. And the gospel is ultimately Jesus. Who is Jesus? And what has Jesus done for us? Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. Hebrews says he's the radiance of God's glory. John says that he is the Word that was in the beginning. He was with God and he is God. He is the Alpha and Omega of the book of the Revelation. And Jesus, the Son of God, came and he was born of the Virgin, the story that we celebrate at Christmas. And John says that he tabernacled, that the Son of God took up residence among us so that when we see the Son of God, we see God because he and the Father are one. All of us live a life that has been stained by sin. We all fall short of God's glory, but Jesus perfectly reflected God's glory because he lived a life that was sinless. Now, you know how the story progresses. He's betrayed. He's beaten. He's crucified. But the scriptures teach that it was not the crucifixion or the execution of a good teacher. But Jesus' death on the cross was an atonement. The God-man died for your sins and mine 
bridging the gap between us and God. He absorbed the wrath of God intended for sin into himself. And that wrath of God drove him to death because the wages of sin is death. But because he was sinless, because he's the son of God, death could not contain him. So he rose again, demonstrating that he has power over death. And he says to you and he says to me, if you believe in me, you shall not perish, but you shall have everlasting life. And then as we become believers, the gospel puts us within our world to be light shining into the darkness. And you say, but Lash, this world is full of so much injustice, so much difficulty, so much grief. Well, the story ends that one day the Son of God will come again. And when he comes again, he will not come as the innocent baby of Bethlehem. But when he comes again, he will come as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the good news that the New Testament speaks of over and over and over again. That is what we call the gospel. And Romans says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And that's what Jesus called these guys to go and preach. Go and preach the good news and preach the kingdom of God. What is this thing, the kingdom of God? It's God's eternal sovereign rule over all that he created. God as creator is also ruler. Now, we live in a culture. We live in a culture that ultimately says, uh, I make my own law. And if you really reduce it down, everybody becomes a little God unto themselves within secular culture. Because you decide what is right for you, I decide what is right for me, and who am I to judge? And so we all become little laws to ourselves. The kingdom of God says that there is such a thing as a transcendent law, a transcendent law that was instilled within the creation by the creator. Transcendent law is truth that is true for all people at all times. It is truth that goes beyond you. It is law, it is truth that comes from the creator. Now, honestly, if you break it down, if there is no such thing as transcendent law, there is no such thing as right or wrong. All there is is opinion. You have an opinion. I have an opinion. Who's right? Who's wrong? We'll never know. We're both right, right? Well, both people can't be right all the time. So there is such a thing as transcendent law that is just right for all people at all times. You say, uh, well, well, how about, how about constitution? The constitution can be the transcendent law for the community. Well, I think there's a couple things that you need to realize here. Number one, constitution can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Have you noticed that? Number two... Depending upon where you are in the world, the laws are different. So here in Texas, you have the laws of the Republic of Texas. Okay? You hop on an airplane, you fly to someplace in the Middle, of e- Middle East, and you might have an entirely different set of laws. So law is always changing. Law is changing within our own culture. But there are some transcendent laws given to us from God above that he has written upon the heart of man, basic right and wrong, that demonstrates God's eternal reign, his sovereignty over his creation. Well, fourth, he gave these disciples perspective. He said, men, not everyone's going to believe you. And whenever they do not believe you, shake the dust off your feet and keep on going. And then number five, he called them to faith. Don't take anything earthly with you because I want you to trust me. 
in everything. He called them to leave behind everything to go and to trust him because he wanted to do something through them. Dan, if you would come up to the stage at this time, uh, if you weren't here earlier in the service when we introduced Dan, uh, Dan is a church planter in Garland, and he is starting a new work that we have the privilege of being a part of and helping to sponsor. And Dan has an incredible testimony of salvation. So tell me, uh, it's 1975-ish. You are a little boy of five or six or somewhere around there in Vietnam. Your father has been arrested by the communist regime. Your mom has had to move you all out of the city because your apartment there was confiscated and you're living life in the country She begins to realize that you are in danger, that you and your four siblings are in danger. And so she comes to you one night, and what does she tell you? Yes, one night my mom uh, wake me up and my siblings and say, we're going on vacation. So let's get uh, on the boat, and we're going to take you guys on vacation. You're going on a cruise. On a cruise, cruise, going on vacation. vacation, and uh, I said, okay, can, can I also bring my little pet chicken with me? At uh, that time, I moved from the city to the country, and I love the country, and one of the things that I, I really enjoy was having a pet chicken. Some, some kids have Labrador retrievers. <laughs> Dan has pet chickens. Yes. So, so she tells you you have to leave behind the pet chicken, and oh, everybody say, oh. Yes. Yeah. And, and you and your family, or you and your family, yeah, you, go, you go get on the small boat. Yes. It's night. Where are you headed? Well, we were heading, uh, we were escaping the country at that time. Of course, I didn't know that at, at that moment. And we were heading toward Malaysia, uh, leaving our country uh, as refugee. And uh, when we got out, uh, uh, we got through the river and got out to the sea. And after a while, we got battered and beat by the waves. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not a very enjoyable vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, it gets better, though, yes, because uh, along the way, you met some new friends. Yes, and along yeah. the way, and you know, we... Um, we got intercepted by pirates. Uh, no, they, they are not pirates of Caribbean. They are yeah. pirates of the South Sea. So um, they, uh, the first pirate that intercepted our boat uh, took everything that we had, our belongings, everything we, we tried to bring with us. And, and um, at that time, in during those, those, um, those years, uh, the pirates uh, around there, they knew that the Vietnamese were leaving the country. So they, they kind of pretty much like shock waiting for a bait to come out. And so they intercepted people, take everything they, they can, um, a lot of the boat got, uh, got killed, uh, um, but we fortunate the, the first pirate that intercepted our boat took our stuff and damaged the boat engine and, uh, and left us there to float uh, on the sea. So now you're, you don't have anything with you. All your valuables are gone. You're on this small boat. It's damaged. You're floating around the sea, and then it gets even better. Yes, yeah. The, the, a second pirate boat intercepted us. Uh, same thing, trying to take stuff from uh, what we have. And uh, so they, um, they looked, but there was nothing left uh, by that time. So they pretty much kind of wasted their time, make them angry. And so they, they ran into our boat, create big holes on the boat, basically just trying to kill us. Um, but, and all the people in the boat knew at that time that if we don't do something, we basically going to die. So everybody jumped up the, uh, the boat and uh, tried to get into their boat. Uh, and for some reason, like we say, we don't know why, but they, they did stop and took uh, us um, onto their boat and, um, and drove us close to, uh, by this time, we're in the, the uh, Thailand instead of Malaysia, where we want to go. And they left us uh, pretty far away from the, uh, the shore, um, uh, hoping that uh, they didn't want to get caught and 
that anywhere we can get to shore, we, we, we can survive, that would be fine. But it was late at night. For some reason, we knew that, um, I mean, we didn't know that the, the tide was, um, was low. So um, uh, the, even though we were far away from the shore, but the, the, the ground was shallow enough that uh, we were able to swim. And well, I couldn't swim at that time. And I, I, it's funny that it, even though we were in the sea, but I didn't want to get wet. So when we jumped off the boat, my cousin was trying to carry me on her uh, shoulder. But I keep trying to climb up higher and higher on her, on her neck so that I don't get wet. But, of course, eventually I got wet, and uh, we made it into the shore. Uh, so now your mom's there with five children in a foreign country, Thailand. And uh, I guess somebody saw you all and yeah. realized that something was amiss, and so you got, you got taken where? Yeah, we, we were kind of taken to a, a, a farm of the, the, some, the, person, the person who lived there. And it was kind of nice because we were the only group there. But uh, after a while, the authority took us to the, the actual refugee camp, and there we saw thousands of people, uh, Vietnamese people, that left the country and, and stayed there. And at that camp, my, um, my mom contacted my uncle because he left in 1975 right after the, uh, the fall of the South, and he already in the United States already. And uh, through him, that they, um, he sponsored us over to the United States. And that was the legal way yeah, for you guys. That was the legal way. And, and just a note, you're, you're now a United yes, States citizen. I am a legal, uh, uh, refugee right now. So. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a United States citizen, okay? So, <laughs> yes. So, all right. Legal and so, innocent citizens. Yeah. So the big, beautiful door, okay? Yes. Yeah, that, that's, that's Dan here, okay? So, so your uncle sponsors you, sponsor you, sponsors you guys to fly overseas and come here to Farmer's Branch area. Farmer Branch, yeah, he's been here, and uh, we stay with him, uh, uh, four of my siblings, me and uh, my mom, and then uh, he had four children as well. And it was fun. It was fun. It was nice to stay and, and, uh, there, but um, after a while, my uncle got tired of us because there's so many of us in the Can't house. Can't imagine why. Nine yeah, kids know, in the house. Ten, and... ten, ten, 10, 12 people were there in the house. Uh-huh. and uh, So he said, you got to go. You know, they got to go. So he, uh, for some, uh, some way, he connected with a, a mission uh, church in, in Dallas, they have a, a mission uh, church for Vietnamese, and uh, there was a Vietnamese pastor there as well. And through that, he um, introduced us to the church, and that pastor helped us to find a place to live. And it happened to be right next to the church as well. And that's how we got drawn into the, uh, the church, and that's how I came to know Christ as well. Yeah, and you were at a camp, I think, yeah. and you heard the speaker talking about a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, by uh, then we've been in the church for a while, and at the age of 11, I went to a youth camp, which is hosted by the, the mother church there. And I didn't understand English still at that time. We've been there four years or so. Uh, but one night, there's a speaker talking, share a message. And uh, like many of you, if you heard, if you were saved when you were young, you, you can't remember what it was all said. But, but for me, I remember one of the uh, messages he asked, he said that Jesus promised to be your friend. And he would promise that he would never leave you or forsake you. And he, if you welcome in, uh, him into your life, he's he going to be there with you for the rest of your life. Uh, if at that moment in my life, it's, I'm longing for a relationship. And to hear that there is someone who, who would offer that relationship and someone who would uh, not forsake me or leave me, hey, that was a, I, that's a wonderful offer. And, and, of course, when the speaker asked if you want to receive Jesus, your, your friend and your Savior, Lord, and come up, and I did, and I, I was at that moment expecting to see Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I didn't understand. I knew there was somebody, so I went up, and um, the leader in front of the, of course, he asked me to bow and, and pray, the, 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 the Lord prayer. And then I kind of, after a while, a little bit, I realized maybe 
I'm not going to see him. And after he said, now you, now you go home and tell your pastor you have received Jesus Christ and, you know, he, he will guide you. At uh, that moment, I, I realized, of course, I'm not going to see the real Jesus, but the reality was that he did enter my, into my heart and took residence in my life. And for the rest of my life from that point on, uh, he was there. And he did kept his promise to never leave me or forsake me. Amen. And you, you, your family had come from a Buddhist culture. Yes. Your uncle that actually encouraged you to go to the church was not a Christian. No, yes. But and that's an amazing way how God used, again, we, from Vietnam, uh, our culture is Buddhist, but, but just by culture. And uh, so I never heard anything about Jesus or church or, or anything like that, Christianity, until I came over here. And until my uncle said, you got to go out, out of my house because it's too, too crowded here. And from there, we, we met the church, and that's where we heard the gospel and heard about Christ. Uh, and, and, and even though God um, used my uncle to sponsor us over here and then send it to a church, he wasn't a Christian as well as all. Yeah. And so then Dan has grown up here in the States and um, went to seminary and studied and got your master's degree, began feeling a call. You work in the IT industry, yes. but you also began feeling a call, and specifically a few months ago, you began feeling a call for your neighbors, and this has led you to start a church there in your neighborhood. And, and Dan, we are so thankful. Are we not, church, so thankful to get to be a part of what God is doing through Dan and his ministry in, in Garland? You know, what amazes me about your story is that everybody was chasing you. The, the communist regime was chasing you out of your house, and you, you had to flee the country, and then pirates were chasing you, and then you're left with nothing, and you arrive on the shore with nothing, and then you come over to the States, and, and all along is like you're always having to leave, and you're always kind of being chased by somebody, and through that entire story, God was chasing you. Yes. The grace of God was chasing you. The hound of heaven was pursuing you. He was on your scent, and he found you, and you are his. And even though you went through so much adversity and so much difficulty, God was at work through all of that, drawing you unto himself, bringing the gospel near so that you and your family might believe. Eventually, your dad was able to come over here and, and join the family before he passed. And uh, I am just so thankful to have you as my brother in Christ and to have you here with us this morning. Thank you so much, Dan, Thank you, for sharing your testimony. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. I, I hope that you never get tired of hearing the stories of grace. Because grace, grace is so amazing because it's for everyone. And nobody, no matter how dark your past, no matter how helpless your present, is beyond the reach of grace. Grace is undeserved by all. That's the nature of grace. You don't deserve it. And yet Christ has made it available to all. He calls you and me not to be perfect. He calls us to believe. To believe in the one who is perfect. And to trust in him as our Lord and Savior. And grace comes near. And it changes us from the inside out. Now hear me on this. The grace of God is intended for you. But it's not supposed to stop at you. The grace of God is to be shared. And it grieves me 
that sometimes the greatest gift that any of us could ever receive, grace, is the last thing that we're willing to share with other people. We become grace hoarders. But understand, God calls us to go beyond ourselves, to share his grace with the people in your life. There are hurting people all around you. In the grocery lines next to you are the Dan Haas of the world. There are people in your classroom. There are people at your company. There are people in those bleachers at the Little League baseball game that are hurting, that have stories, that need someone not to be self-centered, but need someone to be grace-centered, God-centered, that reaches out and shines light into their life. I know we can't cure all the ills of society, and I know that there are people beyond us that make decisions that we have no control over, but you can be light right where you are, making a difference One person at a time. Loving God by loving the person right in front of you. Right, students? You can make a difference. But it's got to go beyond me. I can't be selfish. I have to start thinking about God and what he's doing in the lives of others. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads this morning as the band comes? Before we stand and sing, I want to ask you to identify some people in your life that God may give you opportunity to reach out to. It might be somebody you work with. It might be a neighbor, a family member, somebody that you sense that God is calling you to reach out to and be a hand of grace in their life. Would you ask God to give you opportunity? Would you ask God to give you faith and to give you courage? Would you ask God to let your life be a light that shines into their life? Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you. And Lord, we ask that what begins in here will not remain in here. We ask, Lord, that what you birth in our hearts at this moment might overflow the boundaries of ourselves and be seen in our homes and our communities and the lives of others. Lord, there are hurting people around us that need someone to love them as Jesus loved us. That need somebody to go beyond themselves and reach out with the hand of grace. And so, Father, we pray for opportunity to share the gospel of Christ. We pray for opportunity to be there when people come alive in Christ. We pray that the stories of grace that we have seen in our own church, stories like Tim and Jason and Sarah and others that have stood before our church and been baptized, proclaiming their faith in Christ, we pray that we might get to see more and be a part of more. I pray, Father, for the hurting, that they might be comforted. I pray for the lonely, that they will experience love. I pray for those that are spiritually lost, that they might find salvation. I pray that if there's someone in this room today that doesn't know you, that today will be their day of belief. And I pray that we as a church will worship you boldly and loudly 
and that we will worship you with the totality of our lives. Help me, Lord, to go beyond me and to be a part of your story. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship.